0: Welcome to Navigate, the podcast that helps you safely and securely traverse the globe. Alongside travel industry experts and global travellers, we'll gather insights and advice that help you manage any pitfalls or problems that may occur while you're away from home. Our voyage of discovery starts now. Hello and welcome to today's Navigate podcast. I'm Deborah Harvey and I'm the Operations Manager, Clinical Services of World Travel Protection and I'm your host for today. I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Joseph Lelo, Medical Director, and Maggie Kariuki, Operations Manager from AMREF Flying Doctors, who are based in Nairobi, Kenya. This is the first of two podcasts that we'll be doing with AMREF. Today, we'll be learning about AMREF, what they do, and the impact of COVID-19. So, welcome, Joseph and Maggie. Thank you for joining us. It'd be great if you could tell us a little bit more about AMREF and the service that you provide.
1: Thank you, everyone. Uh- as Debbie have said, we are flying doctors, is the largest, best known international air ambulance services provider in East Africa and Central Africa region. We have been in the aeromedical industry for the last sixty years, acquiring huge wealth of experience, professionalism, and solid infrastructure. I would say that we were the first in the continent to be accredited by European Aeromedical Institute. Uh, short-form URAMI, and a twice-winner of International Air Ambulance Provider, ITIJ. So we have won that award twice, I think about three, four years ago. And that award is the most prestigious award in the global travel for health insurance industry. And this is a true reflection of the exemplary effort put in our highly uh, trained staff. We are a social enterprise owned by... AMREF Health Africa, the largest health-based NGO in Africa, and all our profits are channeled to the NGO to support its vision of raising health change in Africa.
0: And I know that obviously in your business, which is quite important to us, is that you actually own all your aircraft. Is that right? Yes, we
1: own all our our aircraft. So we have a a unique brand, turboprop and Jets. We own uh, two PC-12s and two Jets that are dedicated to our core business activity for aeromedical av- evacuation. We can evacuate patient locally, that is from the bush to the international airports regionally, as well as to South Africa, Europe, Asia, Middle East by our private air ambulance or on commercial airline with our medical escort. We serve uh, quite a range of clients, that is including and not limited to international insurances like yourself, assistant companies, corporate defense forces, NGOs, government agencies, and the public at large, including free evacuation on charity basis to the poor community. All our medical activities are coordinated here in the office 24 hour control center, Which is accessible by telephone, mobile phone, email, fax, even walk-in, allowing all our clients to access medical advice day and night. AFD owns four ground ambulances that completes our air ambulances. Three of these ground ambulances are uh, advanced life support. And one of these is basic life support, uh, which are used to transport the patient from the hospitals, from the airport to the hospitals and the vice versa especially within Nairobi. We also offer medical assistance services in the greater Eastern Africa region to our international insurances and assistance partners acting as local and regional partner on their behalf in this regard.
0: Yeah, I guess for us it's that peace of mind that you do own your own aircraft. They are permanently configured as air ambulances. They're not just a private jet that has been then medical team put on it. And the absolute, as you said, you have a 24-hour business. So your speed of response and action and that you're fully accredited. So that gives us as a partner and your experts in East and Central Africa, real peace of mind for our customers and our clients.
2: Allow me to add something there, Deborah. We are also proud to announce that we are acquiring a new jet, so it will be a, a medium sized jet, this will be a Cessna Sovereign, so with the medium range, much faster and uh, bigger, uh, can take two patients, so the acquisition should be complete towards the end of, of this year, so we'll have extra capacity to be able to offer your clients uh, a more choice and uh, a faster, more spacious aircraft uh, to get them to the tertiary care that they need, so desperately need let me add something about our staff we have uh, a fully dedicated full-time employed team of nurses who have uh, an intensive care background so they are the ones who coordinate uh, and manage patients on each and every flight so this has been uh, actually one of the challenges in our that has been brought to us by this uh, new outbreak of covid that that uh, you realize that you simply never have enough staff. So we've had to expedite recruitment. We've had to train even more. We've had to push uh, longer shifts at times. So actually COVID has brought in a challenge that our team has been able to meet uh, quite well to be able to continue offering services. To date, we have carried out at almost 300 COVID patient medivacs. So on average, we do about 900 to 1,000 medivacs per year. So the COVID it is quite significant on some days we do about four or five flights so it is it has become quite busy there's a lot of uh, new challenges with regards to getting hospital space now a lot of the hospitals we traditionally use are, are full over 100 percent full so it, it is a big challenge and but we through our networks we're able to uh, secure beds for our clients in the region
0: Absolutely. We've found the same thing in terms of, in our region, organising any aeromedical retrieval or any transfer. COVID-19 has added an extra uh, complexity and challenge, especially in terms of clearances, um, border closures, and obviously at getting an admitting facility. It sounds like with your network, you've been able to overcome those challenges and, and even being able to, I guess, increase your resourcing and staffing with the impact of COVID nineteen is that right?
2: Yes, that that is uh, absolutely correct. I think the COVID is bring out the best in in, in some some sectors. So we we have mm. been quite busy, and I think we have a lot to be to be grateful for. Another challenge we face with COVID is the need for for COVID testing for everybody. So mm. there's a lot of running around at midnight trying to get COVID tests for for an emergency flight because the crew need a a negative test to be able to go uh, to another country. Some countries are very, very strict with regards to testing and even for the patients as well. So whether you're COVID negative or positive, a lot of authorities will insist that you have a test done within 72 hours before arrival. So this actually brings in a whole new aspect of uh, having to get these tests and coordinating and ma- managing it and making sure that all members of staff and all patients have their tests quite challenging. Although we are, we, we seem mm-hmm. to have found a way to, to work around it. We have very good support from the AMREF lab. So very fortunate that uh, we do have a lab in our, in our backyard that's able to, to help with a lot of these tests. So again, uh, the challenge came and uh, we rose to it and met it.
0: So you have your own lab, is that right, for COVID testing?
2: We have a, a lab with, a, because AMREF, AMREF is a big family. We are part mm. of the the greater AMREF, which is a, a healthcare NGO. So mm. the healthcare NGO is right next door to us. It's, it's so to speak, it's a parent. It's a parent mm. of AMREF flying doctors. They are the owners. So they, they have a, a lab uh, which we have uh, priority access to. And they they really help us a lot with our testing. We can walk in now and get our results out before we get home.
0: Obviously, we've used you for a lot of air ambulance retrievals into Nairobi. Uh, why do you think the there was a um, an increase in the amount of evacuations for COVID into Nairobi?
2: Nairobi is uh, is, is uniquely placed in, ter- in the region in terms of uh, being uh, an advanced center for for healthcare. So we've got. Uh, Compared to the other cities in the region, we've got a lot of uh, private hospitals, uh, very high standard uh, uh, accredited facilities. Uh, I think the Aga Khan is JCI accredited, so it's as good as as any hospital Mm -hmm. in the US. So a a lot of our our clients seeking uh, advanced tertiary care in an accredited center will want to come to Nairobi. Even uh, patients within Kenya who need something. uh, uh, advanced for a serious medical condition will want to come to Nairobi. So historically, Nairobi has been the, the destination within the Eastern Central African region. Uh, even for, yeah, actually Central Africa, a lot of clients come from uh, Central African Republic, Uganda, Tanzania, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia. They will all come to, to Nairobi, even from the Indian Ocean Islands, mm. from uh, Comoros, Madagascar, they will, they will come to Nairobi for, for care. So we have been serving these clients traditionally, but now with, with the strain on resources that COVID has brought into these uh, neighbouring countries, it has increased. It's yeah. unfortunate, yeah. And also that has led to the hospitals in Nairobi now being overrun. And
0: are you still able to organise? Obviously, you do have the, the private uh, hospital facility and you're able to organise beds quite easily with your network.
2: Uh, it's it's not as easy as it used to be because the, the beds now are being given out on a first come first serve basis mm. so if if there's a bed but we have a lot of, of our colleagues working in this hospital so we we seem to have a a priority to be able mm-hmm. to get these patients uh, in once we have one we're able to coordinate that much quicker and uh I'd say we have a bit of an edge uh, to push our yeah. clients to get to get a bed
0: yeah absolutely I think in all the times that we've been working together and we've moved a lot of patients into Nairobi with your assistance, that you've always been able to secure, uh, I guess, a bed and a specialist of what's required for the patient. Because there are ambulances, you're not doing these for people who are not unwell or don't need higher level of care. There is urgency uh, for any aeromedical because it's not without risk when you're moving unwell people, as you know. So I think that's that speed of response and that you've got a bed and a specialist and if any surgery is required, it's done in that very fast response time. So I guess we're all aware of how complex uh, aeromedical retrievals are and from the time we make the decision uh, that someone needs to be moved medically to a higher level of care in an emergent situation, uh, we send you, um, activate you guys by sending you an email. Can you talk us through what happens from the moment that you receive our activation of providing a quotation?
2: From the moment we receive a request from uh, the client, uh, in this case WTP, uh, the the request would come in through email or on phone, and our 24-hour control center staff uh, will be able to pick up this email and escalate it to the relevant uh, departments. Our 24-hour control center has got a medical side as well as an operation side, so we've got. 24-hour nurse teams as well as the operations team that uh, look at every request and begin the logistics. The medical team will look at uh, what it takes uh, medically, whether the patient is fit to be flown. Uh, If there's any special requirement, we'll look at uh, getting the right specialists and the right hospital, uh, getting the right team on board the aircraft to be able to move the patient. So whilst that is going on, the operations team will look at the whether the airstrip is open, uh, whether the aircraft is available, whether there's any special landing permits needed or any clearance needed. Uh, They will also look at uh, any security uh, requirements or security challenges that may be existent in that particular airfield. So while all that goes on, there's a lot of communication internally and also outside to WTP regarding the patient. And once the movement has has begun, uh, WTP will be updated at all stages of the movement, to ensure that they are also able to communicate with their client on the end, make sure that uh, everybody is on the same page with regards to efficiency and coordination. And once a patient is handed over at the destination hospital, we will provide a summary of the of the movement and uh, send this back to WTP. And also, we will be open to receive feedback as well.
0: Absolutely, I guess that's what we find as well. It's obviously the medical. Once you've made the decision that someone needs to be um, to be moved emergently, it is the logistics of all the things that you were talking about that have to be done correctly, or obviously it can all end up not in a a great place in terms of obviously you've got the extra complexities in Central and East Africa and certain locations where you are experts so you understand all of those, the security, night landing, payments of hospitals who won't accept a guarantee from overseas insurance. So it's that local knowledge and local expertise is really important. So Maggie, recently you assisted our Canadian assistance team with a really interesting case. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, thank you, Debbie. Just to add on what Joseph has said, uh, it is important to know that uh, Kenya government allowed a lot of foreigners to come into the country for medical attention, including those who are COVID-19 positive. So I'll go through the case we had with the Canadian office, Bagram to Entebbe. We experienced a lot of difficulties with this case, and especially in Uganda, where they were not allowing anybody, including their nationals, back home, and you had to go through a series of permits. We had to get um, obtaining landing permit from Uganda, uh, Civil Aviation Authority, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Transport, Public Works, and Military. This would take a couple of days because our agent had to walk from one office to the other, and I think it took approximately four working days. Now, the other challenge we had is most of the countries were not allowing any foreigners, to even flight crew, to stop in their country. And reason why we did this flight with another provider, so they picked the patient, brought to us in Oman. And we picked the patient from a man. We couldn't even uh, be allowed to make stop in the, in Tebe or in Uganda, so the, the the crew had to drop the patient and turn back to Nairobi. Now this was challenging because of crew duty time, which is very limited. But we had no choice in this case, and the crew went over duty. But obviously, there are uh, regulations that uh, take care of that, which is what we applied in this case. But the most difficulty part was even the ground ambulance for to pick up the patient was the one that coordinated by COVID nineteen coordinator, and the patient were picked by military ambulances. To put all this together would take time and uh, a lot of logistics were required. And um, just maybe to add on that, we also did a similar case again from Bagram. I mean, Bagram uh, in Afghanistan back to Nairobi, and this time. We are coming to Kenya, so clearances we would take care of them. But on the other side of Bagram and Oman, we had a lot of challenges to be allowed to do a wing to wing with a COVID positive patient, and the authorities demanded that the the wing to wing provider who was bringing the patient from Bagram, where again you cannot be allowed to night stop in Bagram; it's a military airbase, and they wouldn't allow. Normally they do, but this time they wouldn't allow because of COVID-19 protocols, and we had to do it with a wing-to-wing provider. Now, in Oman, where we were doing this, hand over the patient from the other aircraft to our aircraft, they said, we will allow you if the patient will not leave the isolation port, meaning we take the isolation port to our aircraft and they take ours, which is not possible. It's not even compatible. So... Again, we had to go through so much negotiation with authorities on both sides. There were challenges in getting beds because within East Africa, it is only Kenya that was accepting foreigners to come into the country who are positive. So therefore, hospital beds on this case were a bit of a challenge. But because of our connection with the hospitals, with the government, we have tremendous support from the Kenyan government. And this would enable us So an uphill task to enable us to deliver.
0: I think it sounds like you're experts at overcoming the challenges with logistics of moving COVID positive patients, especially when you're dealing with multiple countries, borders, legislative requirements. So it sounds like obviously just moving people normally who are unwell by air ambulance is complex, but COVID has added that extra um, complexity to any case, especially when you're m- moving people who are critically unwell and you need to move them to a higher care um, acuity level.
1: Yeah, thank you, Debbie. I would say that uh, it is true we've become experts and we have a lot of support because a lot of uh, government and even innovation industry, they understand MedVac and there is as there is support from all the prayers in the field. But when mm-hmm. COVID hit in, a lot of people, including the industry prayers, there were, there were some challenges. No one knows what happens, mm-hmm. and they put a lot of regulations and protocols that you had to meet before even moving a patient. To an extent, the authorities would ask, send us the pictures and the SOPs you're going to use bringing that patient into another country. But most of the challenging part was nobody would allow you to make stop in their country.
0: I guess no one ever anticipated the impact of COVID nineteen on our businesses. I remember in December hearing about potentially the COVID nineteen and thinking, oh, this will be this will pass in a maybe a month or two. And then yeah. as it then got declared a pandemic and Global travel basically ceased, which I've never seen in my um, 20 years in the business, Um, but I think it's made us more resilient as assistance companies in terms of you can really see our strengths in terms of finding a solution. If there is a need, I think we will always try and find a way of assisting our customers so they get the care in a timely manner in an emergency situation. So I guess that has changed during COVID in terms of risk management because before COVID, air ambulances are not without risk when you're moving people who are critically unwell, who are coming from very basic care to needing higher level of care. What do you think obviously has changed for you with the pandemic in terms of risk management and all the extra complexity? The evacuations now involve
2: i think maybe on on a positive note i'd like to add that the difficulties we face with these background cases are, are no longer no longer the, the the situation currently because i think the the governments we were dealing with at the time became more more reasonable and uh, actually i think with, with more knowledge and uh, information streaming across about covid and actually with covid being now in almost every corner of of africa we find there's a bit more acceptance. It's just that the healthcare infrastructure is really not not ready to cope with a, with a huge influx of patients. And I think that was the intention of these governments was trying to protect and by locking down and shutting out people who might be infected from coming back in. So the situation has changed. I think uh, improvements are being done every day now. There's a lot of uh, capacity being built in terms of uh, intensive care, oxygen generators, all that so there's there's some hope Uh, it's not moving as quickly as we would like in our neighboring countries but uh, I think it's a positive thing that uh, COVID did show where the weaknesses were a lot is being done in that respect with regards to to risk management I think we've we had uh, a lot of internal uh, review of our SOPs with regards to risk we've uh, recently reviewed our risk matrix and uh, Incorporated all these new risks presented by COVID. We also see some opportunities, but uh, there has been a lot of documentation and review of our of our risk management uh, procedures uh, with regards to operating in this new environment. Now I think it's it's a new normal. So there's I think one one of the risks I can I can put put across at this point with regards to being unable to to move a patient simply because. A country in between where you need to stop maybe for fuel has said no, you cannot fuel here. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot of risk, a lot of uh, long duty crew duty duty hours. As as you may be aware, the the, the crew are limited to not more than fi- a fifteen hour shift. So if you're already stretching that shift to go uh, pick up a patient and come back without stopping, an overnight stop in the other end, you're basically at limit. So you tend to go to sixteen hours and and fatigue, crew fatigue, is, is also a risk. So there's a lot of risk mitigation, uh, risk avoidance procedures that we are, we have put in place to try and reduce the risk of uh, this kind of stretching we do. The fatigue is compounded by the fact of that the, the crew have to wear PPEs, you know, keeping a mask on all the time. So it, it is a big uh, uh, challenge, especially to the pilots who have to speak on the on the radios, uh, wearing this uh, N95 masks, But the, the reason to it and I've uh, really improved. And I think the, the efficiencies that we are seeing now as a result of COVID, I think I'll take that away as a, as a positive because uh, we are working as a well-oiled machine now. We are, we are a good yeah. team. Uh, I think we are, we are proud to be able to serve our, our clients in these challenging times.
0: I say the same thing to our team. If we can get through a pandemic with all the challenges, we can get through anything because I think nothing has challenged our business and our team as much as COVID-19 has. And I think it, it has been a very difficult 12 months, but it's good to see that I think we've had this time and be able to prepare and strengthen our teams and our processes. And be very confident that we can move patients um, during a pandemic. And I think it's amazing in terms of Kenya still keeping their borders open, taking foreign nationals where uh, the other, obviously, other countries in Africa weren't comfortable doing that. And I think it's a testament to the service you provide that you've done what over 300 COVID-19 missions. So I guess I think, you know, thank you for your time today. And I really look forward, to, there's a lot to, more to talk about. We've just kind of touched on the services that you provide, the impact of COVID-19. It'd be great when we catch up next time that we're focusing, obviously, in terms of Central and East Africa, aeromedical evacuations, the assistance services you provide that we touched on briefly, and I guess as travel um, resumes, what what you need to know if you're going to be travelling for our clients, our customers and employers. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Deborah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this
0: episode of Navigate, the World Travel Protection Podcast that steers you in the right direction, helping you explore the world safely. For more information on how we protect millions of global travelers each year, visit worldtravelprotection.com or follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect. Finally, if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more from our experts, be sure to hit subscribe or follow, or please leave us a review. Until next time, keep traveling and stay safe.